I have experienced those mixed use developments and those are some of the most fun, most challenging <laughs> projects that I can be a part of as is those infill mixed use really place making where it's not just I'm going to put, you know, a four over one mixed use uh, multifamily development. It's I'm going to put in a bus stop with, you know, a transit stop and that, you know, have trails connections, uh, all this stuff that really, you know, creates a hub. And uh, those are the types of projects that, you know, I'd like to be involved in more. Hello, and welcome to episode 63 of the Placemaking Podcast. I am Mark Seibold, co-host for the show. I'm happy to bring you an in-depth interview with founder of the Placemaking Podcast and civil engineer, Matthew Lowe's. Matt is a graduate of the University of Arkansas in civil engineering with a minor in business. He serves as a board of adjustment member for the city of Rogers, Arkansas. And in addition to being a community volunteer, he's an avid cyclist and outdoorsman. Matt has extensive experience as a civil engineer, working in both public and private sector projects, and is especially motivated to weave together the complexities of our built environment into a cohesive whole. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share with your connections in the industry. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So let's get started. Hey, welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, thank you very much for having me back. Yeah, it's nice to have you have you on here again. It's, as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, you'll be joining full-time, which is perfect. So, uh, you know, we're going to flip the tables here a little bit and interview myself which yeah. uh, should be a little interesting for those that have yeah. been listening matt you've done such a great job interviewing so many people and bringing in so many outside ideas and really wonderful perspectives so today we're going to turn the tables and have matt share us uh, some of his experience and uh, what makes him passionate about development and the real estate industry so yeah we'll go ahead and jump in sounds great all right. Well, give us the big picture. What did you, how did you get started? What are you interested in? Give us a little bit of snapshot of your life. Yeah. So I am a civil engineer by trade. Uh, went to school for civil engineering, came out and got into site development as a, as a civil engineer consultant. And from there, it really morphed into a love of, of place and really how, how development can actually benefit the community as a whole. And really just took me on this trail to creating this podcast and and talking to others that are, you know, in other fields within the real estate development branch as a whole. And it's, it's been a fun journey. What do you think keeps you uh, moving forward every day? You know, it's just seeing, seeing the developments I am a part of benefiting the community as a whole, just being able to see the tangible benefits of, you know, hospitals and schools and other facilities that benefit the community and how they enrich lives of those not only that use it on a day-to-day basis, but the community as a whole really gives me motivation to do more and, and be better, you know? Civil engineers have to have a pretty broad skill set, not just, you know, structural training or, you know, stormwater, um, but um, understanding construction processes. Is there one specific part of the project development pipeline that you enjoy the most? Yeah, uh, I really enjoy the client side. I, I really enjoy finding solutions with not only our clients, but also the city and the various shareholders and kind of coming up with a consensus on uh, you know, the best 
direction for for the development. And you know, it's it's a bit of that problem solving that is outside of just straight design. And you know, you probably won't hear that answer from many civil engineers, but it's something I I enjoy is is understanding everybody's motivations and and how to make you know the project successful for not only the developer but you know the city and the other shareholders. And you're in Northwest Arkansas, that's correct. Correct. So it's blown up over the last oh, 15, 20 years, uh, as mm-hmm. most people are probably aware. Yeah, I, I went to school here um, and, and really got to see firsthand from the outside looking in what uh, was going on all around us, and you know thought I. I really wanted to be a part of this community and really got to see that blossom, you know, early in my career and then decided, you know, probably five years after starting here is that, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth dipping my toe into a larger metro to see, you know, how it's done in other places and and see if, you know, get some exposure to a little bit bigger, uh, bigger place. And so we went to, we went to DFW and, and cut my teeth there for another four or five years, you know, just really missed uh, the community here in Northwest Arkansas and really felt like I could make a greater impact in, in this area as a whole. So moved back to Northwest Arkansas, maybe developed something, you know, we've seen how other metroplexes have developed and, and Northwest Arkansas has the luxury of being able to see what worked and what didn't in a time of kind of unprecedented growth for the region, yeah. it, it really gives uh, some perspective and, and hopefully some direction for local leadership. Well, I've, most people are aware of the DFW market and just the rise of Texas in the last, you know, oh, 40, 50 years. Yeah, Northwest Arkansas has started on that path. And people will say like, oh, certain, you know, certain parts of the country are 10, 15, 20 years behind, but Northwest Arkansas has just rapidly expanded. And mm-hmm. it's it's unbelievable, um, the infrastructure, the jobs, the growth, the people moving there, especially around the you know Fayetteville and, and Bentonville and Rogers areas. It has a, a little bit of everything, uh, mm-hmm. indoor, outdoor, um, and especially just the the fact that all those jobs are really centered in that that whole region. It's not one city in particular, uh, but it seems like it's a really big coalition of cities working together to to sustain that growth. Right, and what's good is that uh, it appears that you know local leadership has understood issues that you know are growing with with this rapid growth as as far as you know housing and transit and all these other infrastructure items that. You know, uh, if going on, if, if if it goes unchecked, you know, uh, it it makes this place less obtainable. Uh, it makes it less inclusive, and and they're luckily catching on to that now before they get too far along. So sure. hopefully that uh, bodes well for this area in the future. Well, you have uh, taken the leap, and you're now two plus years into the placemaking podcast. Tell the listeners how you kind of got the bug and what your motivation was for starting and what that journey like has been there over the last two years. Yeah, I started out and it was really just an idea that I had come to the table before in the past on real estate projects, development projects, and did not adequately understand the different uh, shareholder viewpoints. You know, I felt like I had not adequately understood why 
certain things were needed by certain people, say, you know, brokers or developers, financiers, architects, you know, what the motivations were. And I felt like that was kind of hindering me from doing my job well. But at the same time, I realized how obscure this process is for others. Uh, I, you know, (laughs) when I talk to my parents about what I do, um, (laughs) <laughs> there's, I, I still don't know that they grasp it quite yet, but I, you know, it's, and that just goes to show, I mean, there's the, the whole real estate development process as a whole is kind of obscure for most outsiders. And so all that together, along with my kind of love of, of seeing these great places, mainly in, you know, in Fort Worth is what spurred it. Uh, some of the areas, the near South side, you know, it's all these places that really building some cool things, really focusing on on place and, you know, really intentional about how they intended for the place to kind of evolve. And I guess all three of those kind of aspects of real estate development made me want to create a a platform where, not create the platform, but create the, the discussions that ultimately hope hopefully open up discussions with others and, and potentially make, you know, the, the idea of real estate development or adaptive reuse or, you know, just any, any type of real estate that, that creates place. Uh, maybe, you know, start the conversation where somebody might actually, who may have not earlier, might actually get into it and, and really open the door for those that think they have a, a way to create great spaces in the community and maybe that inspires them to do something themselves. Yeah. Well, I really applaud your effort. I've watched and uh, observed over the years, many attempts for architects and engineers and planners as well to generate that type of conversation and that type of shared knowledge. And it's been really difficult because there's not a forum, so to speak. Uh, There's not one collective point of action or uh, a consistent brand to kind of attach to, to, to mm-hmm. learn more and to grow. Um, there are a group of organizations, um, you know, professional organizations and membership organizations that are doing very good at facilitating that. But as, as we all know, you know, development and architecture and engineering is, is very local, you know, to the city and to the place. Do you have um, a specific place in mind, whether it's like a, you know, a home or a, a courtyard or, uh, a park or some place that you can kind of point to that has a lot of the elements in it that you like about, you know, cities or, or development projects where uh, it has that kind of a quality that, that meets your standard of excellence? Yeah. You know, when I started this, you know, obviously European cities have, have that grandeur that uh, it's hard to replicate, uh, you know, when you're thinking more of the original cities that, that people kind of endear, uh, you know, that have that walkability, the, the architecture, the visual stimuli, the businesses, you know, obviously those places have inspired me, but more at a local level, Fort Worth, there are pockets <laughs> of places that are up and coming that have really drawn on those ideas, those classic placemaking ideas uh, that are actually, you know, it's hard to believe in Fort Worth. It's, uh, you know, uh, the near South side. I've talked to Mike Brennan there. He's a 
is the president of the near south side. But it's a, a district within Fort Worth that is kind of a post-war, just outside city, you know, city center adjacent. Yeah. And they really took to a zoning class that allows for the mixed use and kind of gets the form-based code. And they and they did pretty well creating their own code. And the the intent was to try to bring businesses and kind of mix the uses a little bit more than uh, the classical Euclidean zoning. And it and it created, you know, several little districts within that larger district that uh, you know, has their own kind of feel. And it was interesting to see, yeah, see how those different areas within that district could be so different, but yet have those same kind of intangibles of access to parks and walkable urbanism type uh, essences, you know, throughout. And uh, it, it really made for some interesting places down there that got to enjoy. Yeah. I, I've observed that the various travels that I've had and places that I visited, there's a certain intangible quality to that experience of the people, you know, it's a lived experience. Uh, maybe it's the culture. Are there specific things about the Midwest or about the central U S that you think set us apart sort of socially or culturally from some of those other places? Because I feel like the opportunity is here. We all want that level of quality, but it just seems so hard to get people on board or to justify the budget or to, uh, you know, without precedent, you know, we don't have the cities asking us for, you know, extensive trail systems or other public amenities. What what do you think sets us apart at this part of the country? It's a good question. (laughs) I would say industry, uh, it's a, it's a little different here than, you know, in the coastal cities. Uh, you know, you have the large, the large port cities obviously grew a little faster and earlier in the, in the uh, U.S.'s history. But I think here in the Midwest, I guess we would call it Midwest. <laughs> they, they call us all sorts of things. Here. Flyover states. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think industry is going to make a, a pretty good comeback here in the coming decade. Um, with with all the troubles um, with you know import and I think there's um, a good there's a lot of natural qualities to these areas that draw people to them you'll you'll see a lot of uh, at least in in our areas lots of natural resources that lend themselves to uh, to to being wanted and and more admired than when I was in DFW it was a little tougher to find natural resources yeah. uh, or trees over five feet so yeah. so much uh, so much topography down there right I, th- I think you know I think we really do have an opportunity here just because we can um, see what had gone on in the in the Detroits the Houstons the, the New York cities of, of what uh, what worked, what didn't work, because we're a little later to the party. I think I think we have a really op- a good opportunity to draw on those experiences and maybe create some spaces that uh, have have learned <laughs> and maybe maybe planned a little better. But we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. So tell me what you think about this. I, I've observed this in multiple conversations and public meetings, and the whole 
trope about, you know, you're, you're going to try and make the Midwest, you're trying to make our area just like, you know, the East Coast or the West Coast or some other place. And, and I would argue that, um, yes, you know, we are trying to make it a better place, uh, adding the features and adding the things like sidewalks and park benches and, you know, just the small stuff. But in some ways, um, speaking from having lived in Oklahoma for a long time, we have uh, some real challenges with the land and land development, just because it was originally the tribes. And um, it has a very challenging past. And we have to recognize that at each step along the way in, in you know, updating codes and working through master plans and, and acknowledging that our, our shared history, the social history, and the history of the land and how, how we have come here um, is incredibly difficult and incredibly um, unsettling in many ways because it is not resolved. We still are living with that, at least here. The same, I think, is true across the country where we have a lot of other First Nations tribes and, and historic groups um, that, that we wouldn't call you know, the, the Native Americans. Um, but just, you know, like I think First Nations may be the best um, na- uh, term is we have not yet had that reckoning on the planning side because we still have a very Eurocentric development pattern. Mm-hmm. And just the way our you know land was divided up for the purpose of se- selling just creates challenges when we start talking about, you know, what should be here. And to the point earlier, we're looking at the East or the West Coast or someplace in Europe or um, maybe someplace in Asia of like, here's some really interesting things that are happening. This creates a great environment for us. But I think it creates resentment from the public sometimes because we want what's here to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And many people have tried to define, you know, what is Oklahoma architecture? What is rural architecture? Um, what should these places look like? And I think largely the criticism is that what we want, what we travel, spend money to go see, and what we value is very different from what we get. You know, the strip malls and the car lots and the highways. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm curious um, what, what you think from, from history, how do we weave that back together? How do we create a you know, a new American place that can solve some of these big picture problems, but also, you know, recognize we may have to create something new. Mm-hmm. That's uh, and that's something that, you know, we, we deal with regularly too, not necessarily the same as, as what you're talking about with first nations, but uh, how do you, the history of the U S is, is pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, I think Texas, you know, for all of the, the various kickback they get about, you know, being proud about their, their place. Uh, uh, actually, we could, we could take some uh, good takeaways from at least their sense of place. They, they understand their history. Um, a lot of them try to create their own, basically, lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how you know, first generation Texans are, are maybe different as far mm-hmm. as how they see, uh, you know, place versus, you know, those that have been there, you know, their whole lives or, uh, you know, and their family has grown up and, and they take real pride in their, their spaces, their places, their monuments. I think that's a, 
that's really tough to replicate. I don't yeah. know, especially when it's hard to build monumental architecture in, in these places that you, mm, yeah. you know, that we're talking about, uh, that, you know, when we talk about the Europe's and the, uh, the Europe and Euro cities and the Asian cities, they all have their, you know, monumental architecture of, of past and the U S history is so recent. It, it's hard to, wow. hard to quite replicate that same feeling. Um, so I, I don't know I, if there's a, as a good answer for that. I, I've never uh, picked up on something as quick as, uh, and, and my Texas friends will appreciate this. Um, but if you, if you're ever in a group of people and you have your one friend from Texas and they introduce themselves, they will usually uh, be the first person to step up and say, I'm from Texas. <laughs> uh, there is a pride of place. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I've, I've never been in a situation yet where that one Texas friend uh, does not you know, fully identify themselves as being from Texas. So um, a, a shout out to the original uh, uh, definers of, of America um, who still, I guess, threaten to secede um, <laughs> if something doesn't go their way. Um, so shout out to shout out to my Texas friends out there. Right. Um, so knowing we've got a challenging history and we have obviously lots of historical precedent to draw from, what are the, the types of places that you want to design or you want to be a part of, or, or yeah, just want to be at the table for that you have not had a chance to experience yet? You know, it's, there's not a whole lot of infill development here. And I, I did get to experience a lot of that you know, in DFW, but here land is not quite to that premium where reconstruction of, you know, infill developments is it's just not as common. It's something that I think is fiscally responsible for us as a city to look into, you know, uh, it's creating places in, in more of that urban core, um, which our urban cores are, are not nearly as defined as some other cities, which, yeah. you know, it makes that tough to be involved in, in those types of projects, but those are becoming a little more common now uh, as, as we have, you know, people are realizing that um, the newer generations are, are wanting to live and work in places that are uh, walkable. And I'm like, we're talking about urban developments here in America, you know, there's the demand is there. So now development is reacting, you know, obviously a little slower here than you know, the, the DFWs, the Chicago's, but it's, it's coming. And, and I, you know, that's something I want to be a part of more so. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have experienced those mixed use developments and those are some of the most fun, most challenging <laughs> projects that I can be a part of as uh, is, is those infill mixed use really placemaking where it's not just, I'm going to put, you know, a four over one, mixed use, uh, multifamily development. It's, I'm going to put in a bus stop with, you know, a transit stop and that, you know, have trails connections, uh, all this stuff that really, you know, creates a hub. And, uh, those are the types of projects that, you know, I'd like to be involved in more. Yeah. As time goes on, do you see the, the next generation 
being more urban focused, or do you still think that there's going to be a, a, a motivation to have the single family home you know, with the yard and, you know, out, out in the, you know, out in the suburbs? You know, this is one of those questions I think about pretty often. And my thought is people that grow up in the city, in the urban core, tend to stay in the urban core or seem to want to gravitate towards, you know, being either in the urban core or, you know, downtown adjacent. And I see more and more people, uh, younger people, wanting to experience that. So I, I feel like it'll kind of permeate through in, in the coming generations because more and more people will experience the living in the cities and, and maybe that makes them want to stay. I think there is a place for suburban developments and I think that's not something that's going to go away. You're always going to have always going to have the suburban outskirts. I, I don't think we're going to get away from that, but I think there'll be more and more push towards the urban core as we, as we move forward, just, you know, everybody is becoming a little bit more, I say everybody, <laughs> I shouldn't use hyperbole, hyperbole, but uh, more and more people are conscious about environmental impacts. And I feel like, you know, that will also draw more people into the, the yeah. urban core to, to cut down on, on um, transportation costs and costs to the environment. So I, you know, I think it's, it's coming. I don't see any, I don't see it reversing, but I, you know, what, what are your thoughts? I'd be curious. I've been a part of the argument kind of on both sides. In some ways we can say, well, there's only so much land. There's only mm-hmm. so far we can grow, but the reality is you have certain cities that have let's say functional centers and they're two miles apart or eight miles apart or 20 miles apart. But if you look at places in the you know Northeast of the United States or in Florida or other sort of larger industrial corridors, you can see that there's a timeline to our built environment. So we've got you know, 30, 40 years uh, in order to use a building, use a place, and it starts to deteriorate or it has to be, uh, it has to be renovated and, and cleaned up. The reality is you can look at some of those larger megapolis areas and see that there's a natural growth that occurs following kind of the lifeline of those buildings. And the challenge, I think, is with a lot of cities that are built post-World War II, we've seen those deteriorate where you don't have a constant influx of population. And obviously, Detroit, Cleveland, um, there's, there's lots of lots of examples there are places that are ripe for renewal, but the market conditions aren't such that people want to move there. There's not that kind of demand yet because economically it still may make sense uh, or socially still may make sense to live farther out of, of those from those deteriorating centers. And I think it's, it's not uniquely American, but I think that we've, we live in kind of that throwaway society where we don't necessarily value history as much, at least communally. And I'm always hesitant whenever we start talking about, you know, the the next generation is going to do this or that, because we've seen so many fluctuations just in the last 30 to 40 years of people who we want to save our downtowns, but at the same time, local governments, states, counties 
aren't putting any limits whatsoever on growth. And so we're just kind of like stretching ourselves a little bit too much, I think. And the only way to really solve that is, you know, wait for those areas to start to deteriorate until we can, you know, somebody can buy them up, clean them up and, and, and redevelop. Um, there's a specific project that I can think of um, adjacent to Tinker Air Force Base in Midwest City, Oklahoma. And it was an older neighborhood, the, really the first neighborhood of the area, um, right adjacent to Tinker. And, and it went through that kind of renewal, but it took municipal action to do that. And they created a town center. The original vision was supposed to have housing and mixed use and all the other pieces with it. And when they got into it, they couldn't find a developer that could make it pencil out. And so it became a, I would qualify it as a, it's the city center. It's, it's very, you know, it can be a nice place, but it just is another strip center that um, does have a lot of activity. There are community activities there, but the reality is it does not have a good connected relationship to the neighborhoods adjacent to it. And so the intent was there, but when you get to the practicality and look at it, the commercial real estate market was very driven to deliver a certain kind of product and, and it just didn't mesh well. So we took out an old, you know, deteriorating neighborhood, you know, had some challenges clearly and replaced it with something that just doesn't have that kind of connectivity that you and I are describing. So I agree with you. I think people who have grown up in a certain environment will maybe tend to, you know, because they have that experience in that environment. But at the same time, we have to have a reckoning, I think, of what we really value and start to turn the financing systems, the government regulation systems, and raise the awareness of how we can create these types of environments broadly across um, our constituents, our clients, the general public. We just need to have a bigger conversation about what it takes to create quality environments. Yeah. So growing up, and, and I'll admit, I grew up very near uh, where this development uh, in Midwest City is located. And as a, as a young person, as a third grader, I could ride my bicycle to school. I would ride my bicycle to baseball practice, piano practice, and back. Um, played in the street, as every kid from the 70s or 80s did. Um, we knew how to do that uh, very well. And then we moved out to a suburb outside and we did not have that kind of connectivity. I couldn't ride my bike to school anymore or baseball practice or frankly, piano lessons. And um, it was very isolating. And I think that's probably the, the core of my, my motivation is sort of healing that kind of disconnection that I existed, that, that existed. And, and I tried to sort of navigate as a young person so as, as a child, are there anything that from your childhood to kind of point you in a direction toward creating quality places? Yeah, there's, you know, there's always those memories, like you were saying that, you know, we, we lived out a little ways too. It was more rural than uh, suburban, but um, it was isolating. Like you were saying, it, it wasn't a place where I could I could ride my bike wherever I wanted to, but I wouldn't get, <laughs> get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the social aspect of, of being near, you know, I can't say that I am somebody that would enjoy living in an urban core, uh, you know, in a downtown setting, but, you know, downtown adjacent and, and walkable communities just from previous experiences, you know, we were social 
social creatures, like you mentioned, you, you felt pretty isolated. I think that is my motivation is that I understand that for those underrepresented uh, individuals, such as, you know, the older generation that, um, you know, I've, I've seen my grandparents live in places that were very suburban and it was, like I said, it was very isolating, but, you know, understanding that those that are, you know, within walkable areas, they can, <laughs> they don't need to depend on a car. Um, and, and especially when just as, you know, like you said, like you were riding a bike, those that depend on a car uh, that don't have the option of driving, that makes it much more difficult and, and isolating, like you're saying. Um, so oh, yeah. seeing that growing up was, was something that I, I enjoyed. Uh, and I want to understand, I guess, more so the, the connectivity of cities and seeing how I could help to kind of create that connectivity that was lacking in some of these areas. So that's, you know, kind of pushed me to get more involved with uh, some of the groups that focus on connectivity within the city as far as trails and, and uh, urban thoroughfares. Uh, and I think you have the benefit too in Northwest Arkansas of, of having some topography that mm-hmm. has a tendency to limit some of the growth. And that's a, that's a real value. I th- think some people would also see it as a real challenge when you, you have a, a region that's growing as quickly as it is, you need available land that's relatively flat and pretty easy to develop, but finding, finding those places that have um, an intangible value, like the, the lakes and the trails and the uh, scenic places, Northwest Arkansas is just bathed in that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's pivot real quick and uh, talk about some present day things that, that you're involved in and uh, some of the, the aspects that, that we haven't covered thus far. Um, you're involved in uh, real estate projects as a designer and as a professional engineer, um, but you also have uh, pivoted a little bit into the investment world. Tell me a little bit about your kind of motivations and your strategy for uh, being on the investment side. Yeah, I've, uh, currently, you know, I've got a few properties owned, but looking at more of the development side and, and that, uh, analyzing the projects from the development side, just because, you know, I have the the, the contacts, the, the experience now to feel comfortable enough to make that dive into <laughs> somewhat the unknown, uh, but very well known from, from my standpoint. So I've uh, been looking at, you know, infill development sites and, and looking at uh, in, in pre, pre-designed, you know, some of these projects that I wanted to be a part of. Uh, just basically buying them for myself, you know, to, to have yeah. that experience. Uh, cause, cause I wasn't, you know, as a, haven't been able to work on as many as I was hoping to. So yeah. might as well bring the work to myself. And, right. And so these are <laughs> single family rental properties now. Uh, currently. Yeah. yeah. Are you the property manager of those? No, no. Uh, I, smart. Uh, yeah. I, I like to sleep at night. So <laughs> no, I, I, Currently doing that, um, but also looking at uh, ground up sites and uh, adaptive reuse as well. That's great. It's good to diversify. I've, I've had the experience as a, as a landlord of single family rental. And uh, at the same time, had the property management company after a couple of uh, bad tenants that made life a little bit more challenging. But 
uh, turn around, lesson learned, find good tenants, vet them, <laughs> call, call references. Uh, and at the same time, you know, if you have a quality property, you will also attract quality tenants. And mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of a chicken and egg sort of thing. Um, what's, what's the long-term goal? What do you think uh, the next five to 10 years looks like for you? Yeah. I mean, I really, really do enjoy uh, engineering. Uh, I like consulting. It's been, it's been really fulfilling for my career and, uh, and personally and professionally, but I do see a transition more into development of, you know, maybe more and more projects. Obviously, I want to uh, start off slower and making sure I, I've, I've got that all uh, figured out. I'm partnering up with a group right now um, on the first one or two just to nice. make sure I understand uh, more so the financing side. That's yeah. That's a part of the puzzle that I don't get as much exposure to uh, as a as a practicing engineer, but yeah. yeah. Some of the strongest teams that I've seen are those that have a a designer of some kind, um, a finance money person, and also an operator, somebody mm-hmm. who knows how to walk into a space and see what's wrong and see what needs to be fixed, and and where every member has a little bit of that hustle that's also needed. I think the synergy works well. I've crossed paths with a couple of people who are just all three in one. They've got the finance <laughs> experience they're, They've got an eye for design um, and they know how to operate. They know how to get things done and, and, and tie a bow on those projects. And it, it's fascinating to watch the really talented people out there do it. Yeah. I think we're, we're both learning those lessons and um, sort of envious, uh, but at the same time, beginning to apply those lessons. So mm-hmm. in your work, do you have a, like a life hack or something that you find really interesting that you think the listeners would would want to know about about you? I mean, <laughs> I think my greatest asset would be my health. So that's my my biggest life hack is just uh, is, is exercise. But other than that, I I'm big on well, I'm I'm big on communication, but also of, of planning and. I use Notion almost literally every day, probably almost every day. And I don't know if you've used uh, Notion before. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I, you know, it's like my second brain. Um, and I, you know, we've got so much going in and out and so much going on that uh, being able to write things down in a common place is, is helpful for me to organize my ideas. So that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of my second hack, I guess. The challenge that I think we all face in the development world is there's so many unknowns in mm-hmm. what the future is going to look like or how to project uh, this trend or that trend or that asset class is, is going to do well. What I've observed about you know, civil engineering and, and architecture as well is that as individuals who have a monopoly on the profession, we bear a lot of responsibility in providing those services to our clients and to the public. And at the same time, we have such incredible freedom to provide a service that otherwise, you know, we're, it's not a commodity, thankfully, um, but the level of quality just largely depends on our attention to detail, mm-hmm. our um, care for the client's needs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really appreciate you, know, you and the work that you've done and some of the conversations that we've had about individual projects is you, you are clearly a, a detail oriented person and 
have an eye, obviously, for the bigger picture as well. Where do you think the podcast should go? Who, who should we start to include? And um, what do you think the next steps are for us? Yeah, there, there's so many different places we could honestly take this thing. <laughs> and that's what's, that's what's fun about it. Um, but honestly, inspiring the next generation of developers is kind of the main focus and inspiring by giving them the knowledge um, of others and, and maybe inspiration from others. The, the funny thing about development is that the majority of the people, individuals that are in development never started out in real estate. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's incredibly inspiring uh, or should be for most. So I like to, I'd like to get more stories of those uh, that maybe were in something not even related to development and, and how they made a way for themselves to improve their communities through development, but also, you know, getting perspectives from others that I honestly have not uh, talked to too much. And, and those are more of those city policymakers or uh, regional policymakers that largely shape the direction of, of cities and regions that most people don't uh, know or understand. It's very true. The architecture and engineering uh, world have a tendency to be a, a, a career path, uh, more of more than a late in life addition. Most of the real estate people that I talk to, uh, especially your point, have started in one profession or one corner of real estate development and slowly moved over either because there's so many incredible challenges uh, that the, the lifetime of a developer is very short. So there's always plenty of opportunity for someone else to, to step in. Um, but I also think that it does take such a network and such a broad base of understanding that it can be difficult for some people fresh out of college to have a really good handle on what the development process looks like just mm -hmm. because of the inexperience. You, you need a little bit of life experience and of experience some, some successes and some failures in order to really understand what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. And most of the seasoned, uh, really grizzled, you know, real estate folks that I talk to always start from a position of caution. They want to understand, they want to, you know, they ask questions. Their assessment phase is much, much longer um, than I think a, a younger person might look at. Uh, but again, I think that at some point in life, you cross that line where your risk of failure goes down really, really low. And we have to be very cautious about each step along the way. And I think having a, you know, a talented engineer like yourself on the team um, certainly helps. And so I'm, I'm excited about uh, the conversations that we're going to have this coming year. Um, we do have some exciting things happening in the next oh, oh, month, month and a half. <laughs> right. um, Matt and I are going to be recording some sessions at the Congress for New Urbanism conference coming up March 23rd and 26th in Oklahoma City. Um, we will be reaching out to some, actually, some great candidates that we're looking forward to talking with during that conference and maybe doing a little bit special focus on Oklahoma City, um, a place that I know well. And, and I'm sure most of our listeners um, have um, either known about if, if having not visited in the past. Um, so we will uh, be uh, putting together some scenarios and putting some putting together some interviews um, during that period of time. Um, Matt, anything else for you? No, you, you touched on it. We've uh, 
the Congress for New Urbanism is obviously a great organization that, that promotes many of the same type of placemaking values that, that are instilled in this podcast. So it'll be a really great experience to talk to some that are on not necessarily the leading edge, but they're in the, the conversation daily on how to really create great places and spaces. So uh, there should be some really great conversations that come out of that. And uh, not to say that we are in a post-COVID world, uh, but <laughs> I think that the, the time and watching all of the the news and the numbers and everything, I'm beginning to be more and more confident every day that we can have a, uh, a return to in-person events that is safe and responsible and recognizing that we'll still follow protocols and still be very vigilant uh, about everyone, uh, everyone's health and safety. But want to extend the invitation, if you're going to be joining uh, the Conference for New Urbanism in Oklahoma City, reach out to us through our website at placemakingpodcast.com. Find us in the contact section and uh, also find us on social media, uh, either Instagram or Twitter and uh, connect with us. We'd love to meet anybody who is a listener uh, through, the, through the conference and, uh, and also invite you to send us some questions um, or some interesting uh, podcast topics that you'd like to hear about. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, definitely uh, reach out if you have anything. And Twitter is, is, uh, is alive with <laughs> real estate discussion. So we, we like to enjoy uh, the discussion on, on that as well. So please be sure to follow us there. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for uh, letting me turn the tables on you and give you a chance. Is there anything else that we didn't cover today that uh, you'd like to tell the listeners? No, I think I think we covered uh, most of my past and I'm sure more of it will come up as we you know, discuss with with more folks on the show. I'm sure both of our histories will, will uh, show themselves a little bit more as, as we go through this next next season. All right. Well, with that, thank you all very much. See you soon. Thanks, Mark.